I have a particular patient in mind where we have to call the insurance company every four months like clockwork just to obtain follow-up scans for her metastatic cancer. That was Dr. Jeffrey Van Dusen, a practicing oncologist at Ohio State University's James Cancer Network and a member of the Alliance for Patient Access's Oncology Therapy Access Working Group. I'm Susan Hepworth, and this is AFPA's Patient Access Podcast. Dr. Van Dusen, I wanted to do some background research before this interview, so I looked at the most brutally honest of all sources that are out there, which are online patient reviews. I have to say, your patients absolutely rave about you. They described you as compassionate, honest, and kind. One patient said she'd give you 10 stars, but the rating system only allowed up to five. And one person said of you, he always does what is right for the patient. So given all of that, I have to ask, is there something you're really bad at? Well, uh, much to the amusement of my children, I'm really bad at water slides. I have a terrible fear of heights. Okay, a fear of heights and water slides. Very good to know. (laughs) Um, Reassuring that that you're not totally perfect. Um, Now, you obviously make the patient the priority, and we heard that in those patient reviews that I just read. And a healthcare system that supports patient-centered care is something that the Alliance for Patient Access sees as its overarching goal. So I want to ask, what does patient-centered care mean to you as a physician? For me, it means listening to and involving patients in their own care. That means listening to their concerns, their priorities, and their personal values. As physicians, We try to make personalized individual decisions about patient treatments after considering all the options, but we do that as a team. It's really shared decision-making with the patient. You know, not every treatment is right for every patient, and so I like to make decisions with my patients, not for them. Very good. Um, What would you say are the three primary barriers that you are up against? That's a great question. I would say the three largest challenges I face are utilization management, diagnostics coverage, and prescription medication coverage. Utilization management is a technique that insurance carriers have been using to approve services for patients. And we're put through a peer review process to approve many services that are normal components of care for our patients. More recently, we've had increasing demands to justify even our routine care, such as scans. And my nurse practitioner spends many hours every week on the phone to explain why we are obtaining this important testing. I have a particular patient in mind where we have to call the insurance company every four months like clockwork just to obtain follow-up scans for her metastatic cancer. Uh, Diagnostic coverage is also an issue for us. As oncology has become increasingly sophisticated, so has our testing. Uh, These new tests are needed to personalize the cancer care we deliver, and they impact the survival for our patients. However, these tests are often only partially covered by insurance. I can remember a cancer patient I was caring for. I had to explain that a particular test has about a 10% chance of finding something helpful for their cancer. 
When we looked into the testing, however, the cost for the patient would be about $3,500, and the patient elected not to have that testing simply because of the cost of the testing. And finally, prescription medical coverage is not something I think I need to spend a lot of time on. Uh, it tends to be in the news quite a lot. Oral chemotherapy is particularly painful, where co-pays for patients can be in the thousands of dollars. I often think about a young woman who could not afford her Zolota, which is a oral chemotherapy, to treat her metastatic uh, breast cancer. In particular, this one is attractive for patients because they can take it at home and it doesn't cause hair loss. Instead, because of cost, she had to use weekly Taxol. It's also effective, but it requires weekly visits for IV treatment, and it can cause neuropathy and hair loss. And those were side effects she particularly wanted to avoid. These cases are heart-wrenching for us. Very interesting. Um, I conduct a lot of these uh, podcasts that we do here at the Alliance for Patient Access, and so I speak with a lot of clinicians and physicians. And one thing they definitely talk about are these utilization management tools that you mentioned there at the beginning. And just for our listeners, those are things like step therapy, prior authorization, um, things like that. And then I really was um, sort of interested to hear what you had to say about the diagnostics and that as treatments for cancer become um, more sophisticated, then so does the testing that's required for that. So I think that's a really interesting barrier that maybe not totally unique to oncology, but um, is something that maybe other disease states just aren't quite seeing yet. So thanks for outlining those three. That's really interesting. Um, there's one specific barrier I want you to try to describe um, a little bit more in detail, and that was an issue that came out of the AFPA Oncology Therapy Access Working Group, um, who recently held a meeting. So you talked about having a patient in the hospital needing to get these lab diagnostics to determine you know, which cancer treatment would be best, and then they have to wait for two weeks because of billing uh, policies to even get the test run. Is that, is that true? Two full weeks? Unfortunately, yes. Uh, the Center for Medicare and Medicaid Services has a rule in place that to be covered, additional diagnostic testing performed on patient samples has to wait 14 days from the date of service, uh, which in our example would be from when they were in the hospital. And this is something I deal with on a daily basis. We use genomic testing for our cancer patients, such as my breast cancer patients, to help us decide on which treatments may be best for them. This includes genetic tests that help us decide if they may need chemotherapy to reduce the risk of recurrence of their cancer. And we also use these genomic tests to determine the type of therapy which may be best for them. I think you can imagine if you were a patient with a cancer that is spread, that the time to start therapy is really important. We may obtain a biopsy and tell the patient that the testing to guide this therapy will take 7 to 10 days if we're lucky and fast. And then I have to tell the patient that we need to wait an additional two weeks to even send the test because of this rule. And for aggressive cancers, this can make a huge difference for patients and even impact our survival. Yeah, that's really interesting. I mean, surely CMS knows this and realizes, I mean, have you 
Had any discussions with them? Do you understand why they have this rule in place? I think it dates back to a, a time when uh, such additional expensive testing didn't exist. And I think there was a concern uh, for overutilization of pathology testing for samples. But in today's modern era, it just is a rule that doesn't make sense. They did try to uh, amend the rule in late 2017, 2018, but the amendment is so confusing, it's difficult for people to understand, and so we're still stuck in this waiting period. Hmm, interesting. It seems like from what you've described that policy is not catching up with today's science. That's a very accurate way of saying it. Yeah, and, and I've seen that in other um, areas of medicine, that policy is lagging behind the science these days. Interesting. Um, so for our listeners, what you just described then might confirm many people's worst fears about how healthcare bureaucracy can overshadow patient's best interest. It can overshadow what the patient values. It can overshadow what the physician believes is best for the patient. It can overshadow that shared decision-making that you talked about earlier. But I want to ask you, what reasons would you say people have to be optimistic about cancer care? We don't want this whole podcast to be uh, too much of a downer. So what do people have to be optimistic about? Well, this is a very exciting time in oncology. There are many innovations that have come or are coming for patients, such as immunotherapy for cancer. There are new treatments like CAR-T cell therapy and checkpoint inhibitors. And survival rates for cancer continues to improve as a result of this process. In other hopeful news, policy changes to help patients access and afford their care are being proposed and are making news, and it may help patients reduce the cost of their care and help them access life-saving treatments. You know, overall, I see uh, there's a lot to be hopeful about. That's great. Finally, we know that physicians have a lot of demands on their time. So why do you take the time to advocate? You're an incredibly uh, busy physician. You have, I'm sure, a full load of patients. So why, uh, why step into advocacy? It's really because I see how these issues impact my patients and their families every day. And I want to do what I can to help, the, help to improve the lives of my patients. And they really need a voice to help speak for them. You know, it's also about leaving a better place for my, my kids, too. Okay, so uh, we like to finish up these podcasts with a quick lightning round. So one quick sentence for each of these things, and we'll keep it moving fast. Um, what is the last TV show you binged watched? Well, this is going to sound terrible, but I rarely have time to watch TV. I do, however, enjoy cooking and baking in the kitchen, so I like watching cooking shows on Netflix when I can. Okay, all right. And I don't think it's a bad thing that you haven't binge-watched a show lately. That's probably a good thing, actually. <laughs> <laughs> More of us should probably not binge-watch. Okay, so... There's one cracker left in the box of Triscuits. Do you eat it or do you put the box back in the cabinet? Or I guess maybe do you throw it away? I would eat the cracker with some cheese. Oh, okay. As would I, I think. One travel destination that's currently on your bucket list. Hmm. 
I would love to travel someday to Scotland, Ireland, and Wales. Okay. Best holiday gift for somebody you don't know very well? I would give them maple syrup. My family actually has a farm that makes it. And where is that farm? In Medina, Ohio. Medina, Ohio. Who knew you can get real maple syrup in Ohio? It's, it's very good. I thought that was just New Hampshire. <laughs> <laughs> okay, and our last lightning round question is, what would be the title of your autobiography? That's a great question. I think it would be The Luckiest Man Alive. I feel very fortunate. Very good. Dr. Van Dusen, it's been a pleasure to have you here with us. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me.